Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Right after the book of Proverbs, pretty close to the middle of your Bible. And we're winding down here with Solomon's journey, really, his search for the meaning of life as we see him try just about everything or pretty much everything that's available to him. And as the richest man who was alive at that time, he had everything at his disposal. He tried it all to try to find the meaning of life, the significance of life. And many times throughout this book, and probably more often in the book of Proverbs, Solomon loves to compare wisdom with foolishness. He'll call it folly. And um, he, sometimes we learn about what's wise and what's foolish from our mistakes, don't we? We realize after we've really messed up that, boy, that was a foolish thing to do. And hopefully we learn our lessons in that way. I know Solomon learned a lot of hard lessons in his life, and he had a really good handle on what was wise and what was foolish. He was also, not only was he the richest man alive, but he was also called the wisest man alive. But you can have a lot of wisdom, can't you? And never apply it to your life. You can have a lot of head knowledge, but never really allow it to, to um, permeate your being and who you are and your actions and your behaviors and all of that. So, but we never want that to happen. We have, we have this book, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, that we should uh, refer to all the time because it has all the wisdom we need. It says that the Scriptures have everything regarding life and godliness. Whatever we're, whatever we're looking for, whatever answers we need, whatever questions we have, the Bible has the answers to that. So Ecclesiastes chapter 10 here is continuing in that thought process. This chapter really is the, is the end of his search. The next two chapters are going to give us his conclusions. So let's see what he says here as he compares through most of this chapter. He does something like what he does in the book of Proverbs. He does a comparison of foolishness to wisdom. Um, It helps us to understand how God warns us. And thank goodness he does. That he warns us about going the wrong way. And sometimes he'll allow us to make those mistakes, won't he? And hopefully we learn from those things. If we just uh, heed him, attentive to the leading of his spirit, understand when we mess up and when we hear God's voice saying, no, you should have done it this way or um, you shouldn't go go down that road, that we heed that uh, counsel We'd be much better off if we do. So, jumping in here in the first three verses, 
Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. And when a fool walks along, even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom. And he shows everyone that he is a fool. Solomon here is warning us that sin and foolishness can infest the heart of man and result in destruction. We've all heard the saying, right? One bad apple will spoil the whole bunch. Uh, And it's true. It definitely applies to fruit, but it also applies to human beings. We're going to show a quick video to bring that point home. Watching today, I found out, and in the video today, we're looking at why one bad apple spoils a bunch. Now, this isn't just a popular metaphor, it's actually true. One bad apple will quickly spoil an entire box of apples. The obvious way this can happen is simply if one of the apples is infested with some fungi or critters that reproduce and spread throughout all the apples in the box, ruining them as they go. The less obvious, but perhaps even more common way that this happens, is to do with a hydrocarbon chemical known as ethylene. Ethylene is a hormone produced and released into the air by most plants, including from the fruit of certain plants, such as apples, bananas, pears, etc. So, well, what does this have to do with one bad apple? The bad apple is usually one that is wounded in some way or is otherwise overripe. As a consequence of the wound on the apple, or if it's already just very ripe, the apple in question will give off significantly more ethylene than normal. That ethylene accelerates the ripening process in the apples around it, which causes them to give off more ethylene themselves, further accelerating the ripening process in all the apples in the box. In very short order, the entire box of apples will be overripe and eventually be unpalatable for eating. Yeah, okay. So, (laughs) a little bit of a visual there for us. Um, I consider foolishness as ethylene in our lives. Just a little bit in our lives will just permeate what we do and cause everything to go bad. Um, Solomon warns us about this. Wisdom, though, can help us walk with God and enjoy the benefits of that relationship. We use all of our senses, don't we, to experience uh, life. Uh, one of the strongest senses that we have is the sense of smell. I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes I'll smell something and it will immediately bring me back to an event or a time from, it could be 20 years, 30 years ago. You'll smell something and it will take you back there. Solomon uses this imagery. He uses it a lot throughout, um, throughout the book of uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that something can spoil the pleasant aroma of even the most expensive perfume. It would seem to us that if a fly were to fall into a bottle of perfume, that the scent of the perfume would overtake the stench of the rotting fly, wouldn't you think? But no, that's not what Solomon's saying here. It doesn't take much foolishness 
to spoil whatever wisdom or honor we have acquired throughout our lives. You know, the Apostle Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 5. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, leaven is a picture of sin. Uh, foolishness can be a picture of sin. And we, we know that a good reputation, sometimes it takes a lifetime to create a good reputation, but one foolish act, won't it, can ruin someone's reputation. Even Solomon mentions that in a couple chapters back in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Uh, he says a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. The impact of our life really will be measured by the reputation that we have in this life. When we remember someone, we often remember the influence that they had on others. And that could be for good or that could be for bad. Solomon is, is telling us that a foolish person or a person who lacks godly wisdom will show everyone that he's a fool. It'll be evident. And often, it's the foolish acts of somebody that we'll remember, not the good ones. This is a warning to us to walk in godly wisdom and seek it for our life. We want that to be our legacy when we leave this earth. And so we see this comparison of foolishness and wisdom. And we see Solomon here in the rest of this chapter kind of applying this principle in a few different ways. So as we move on in verses 4 through 7, he says here, If the spirit of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your post. For conciliation pacifies great offenses there is an evil I have seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. So we all know that a foolish leader can, can result in the fall of a nation. Sometimes leaders are overtaken by their own power. Um, and so much that they become foolish, they become arrogant in how they rule. Solomon speaks here about the demeanor of a ruler. When he says the spirit of a ruler, he's talking about the ruler's attitude, his demeanor, especially toward those who serve under him. And we can see that in a nation's leaders. But think about it also in your life, in reference to maybe your workplace or maybe ministry. A leader needs to be able to control his temperament. If he doesn't, we're supposed to overcome that with kindness and not, and not with evil. You know, Paul, Paul writes in Romans... Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So our response to that, as Solomon says here, he says, do not leave your post. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post for conciliation pacifies great offenses. Our response to that needs to be measured in self-control, even if that one who's over us does not have self-control. 
Think about the overbearing boss, right, that you might have to deal with in your company. And how would you answer that? You know, maybe with forethought instead of with pride and wickedness going back against him, trying to get even with him. A foolish ruler may also place the wrong people in the wrong positions, um, not thinking about the qualifications necessary for a particular job. So it kind of shows us there has to be a balance in, in someone who's a leader, whether it's the leader of a nation, of a company, of a ministry, whatever. It has to be a balance between a, a ruler who knows what he wants and, and does, has a vision that he wants to br- bring across but he has no strength to implement those things, or one that's just so weak that he can't get anything accomplished. There needs to be a balance there. That's why when we elect leaders, we hope that they surround themselves with good people advising them, you know, competent people who will give good counsel so that they can make those difficult decisions. So we see here that Foolishness can have a disastrous effect if, the, if a leader um, does not consider godly wisdom. Moving on in verses 8 through 10, Solomon says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. So these verses, there's been some, some controversy as far as how to interpret them, but if we follow the theme here that Solomon's bringing forth, he's comparing, again, foolishness with wisdom. This time he's not talking about leadership in a nation or, or, uh, or something like that. He's talking about in the workplace. He's talking about foolishness in your, just your day-to-day, whatever you do. He's not criticizing hard work because that would go against some of the things that he spoke about in Proverbs. In Proverbs 14.23, he says, In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. And again, he reiterates this that hard work or diligence is something to be to be admired. He goes on in Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. So he's not here speaking out against hard work. He's talking about being wise, not being foolish in what you do. You know, every job has occupational hazards. That's where that phrase comes from. And we would be wise to take care in what we do. Not to be overconfident, he's saying here. Not to be presumptuous, but use wisdom. And be alert of the potential dangers that there are in whatever we do. He says here, he who digs a pit will fall into it. So, yeah, you can be a great uh, pit digger, but you've got to be careful around the edges of the pit that you don't fall in yourself. Just using care. Whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. You know, he's talking here about like a, uh, a wall of, of shrubbery or hedge where you break through it and there could be, could be snakes 
in there. And we, we know that. We Sometimes we do our garden and we see snakes crawling around on the, on the ground. So you always have to be careful. But I, I like the fact here that as, if we really look deeply into this, we can make a spiritual application also. Don't underestimate the schemes of the devil. Don't underestimate our adversary who's always trying to lure us towards danger. He'll take advantage of our overconfidence. And then he's, he'll cause us to fall into sin. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Be wary that there's an enemy of your soul who desires to take you down. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a, a, quite a few really great books. One of them that I, I, I like uh, Probably one of the best is the screw tape letters. It's um, letters from one demon to a, his underling trying to give him advice on how to take down a Christian. And it's very interesting because it's, it's insight into how the enemy works in our lives. And, it, and most of the times it's very, very subtle. And if you see some of these letters uh, from, the, uh, from the higher, uh, uh, like the devil to uh, one of his underlings, you'll see some of the subtleties that he uses. But C.S. Lewis writes in the beginning of that book, and this is something that we always need to be careful of, he says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And that can be very, very dangerous for us. Some of us may, may not, uh, you know, want to admit that there's an enemy of our soul. And that's, he's, he loves that because he can get in and you'll never know it. And then uh, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So Satan doesn't care if you don't believe in him or if you excessively believe in him and obsess over him. He can take you down either way. We need to have a healthy understanding that there is an enemy of our soul who wants to take us down and that those things can come across our path every single day. But what does the Bible say? That Jesus, Jesus says, He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as believers. We have God working in our lives to keep us from those things. We just need to be wise in understanding that and using that. The Scriptures are a weapon against the enemy, against Satan, against those battles. And we need to give appropriate attention to the schemes that he tries to use. But we don't ever attempt to fight him in our own strength, right? Because we'll never be able to do that. It's always using godly wisdom and asking the Lord to fight our battles for us. Why? Because it's not a fleshly battle. It's a spiritual battle. It says in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we need to be wise. We need to always be looking out for those things. And it's foolishness, foolishness, Solomon says, not to do that. He goes on here and he talks about foolish speech in the next few verses. In Ecclesiastes 10, verses 11 through 15, he says, A serpent may bite when it's not charmed. A babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. So these verses here talk about some of the foolishness that actually comes out of our mouths when we speak. When, whether what we say or how we say it to one another. It can, it can show people that we're foolish. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When we speak to others, it can either build them up or it can tear them down. And we always want to be building people up. And it's with godly wisdom that we will know how to do that. What to say and how to say. Foolish talk can be destructive. Solomon describes a babbler as someone who gets bitten by his foolish words. We can all relate to that. How many times we'd like to take back those words that we said. Or sometimes we say something foolishly and it comes back and, and bites us later on. Listen, we don't, none of us do it perfectly. We're always going to have those times where we're not gracious with our words. We don't, we're harsh with our words. But we continue to go back to the Lord, to seek Him, to ask for Him to work more in our lives in those areas where we need to be um, just refined a little bit. But we know that gracious words will result in grace being returned to us. And that's really a beautiful thing when brothers and sisters can speak with one another with grace. But it's the Holy Spirit doing the work in us in, in order for us to do that. Otherwise, we're going to go, we're always going to lean in the direction of foolishness. Foolish talk can be irrational. If you've ever spoken to somebody, or maybe you yourself, when we just talk without wisdom, without thinking, our words won't make sense. No matter how long we go on, we just won't make any sense. We won't be co coherent. And sometimes people just keep going and keep going and keep going. And I've done that. Try to explain myself out of foolishness. And the more I talk, the more... the, the, the Deeper I dig my, the hole. Foolish talk is often unrestrained, isn't it? It says in Proverbs 10.19, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Foolish people will keep on talking, thinking they eventually will say something intelligent. 
I can attest to that. Instead, mostly it leads to more foolishness and ungodliness as we try to kind of, like I said before, explain ourselves out of the situation. Foolish talk is often self-focused. Self-focused. See, when we use godly wisdom, we're going to be attentive to the needs of others. When we are foolish in what we say, it's always going to be about ourselves. When we use godly wisdom, we're going to imitate Jesus Christ. The person here in verse 15, he goes on and says, The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. You know, sometimes you just get so weary as you're trying to, you know, trying to find the words of wisdom to say. And all that comes out of your mouth is foolishness. He, this person is so consumed by his own interests that he doesn't realize that he's not in control of his life. He thinks he knows where he's going, but he doesn't. A foolish person will boast about his plans for the future, not realizing that God is the one who directs the activities of our life. In James, and I think we have these verses to put up, James speaks a lot about the tongue. He speaks a lot about, about our, our speech, how we talk to others. But this here he's speaking of just being presumptuous and boastful. And in verse 13 of chapter 4, he, he says, come, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So we always have to remember, before we open our mouths, with boastful words to just pray. Allow God to give us the, the wisdom to know what to say or what not to say. You know, sometimes we, we speak in boastful words um, because we don't know what else to say. I know there's a couple of instances in the Scriptures where the Apostle Peter has done that. We've all been guilty of that. Allow God to work in our lives and direct us. And then we can say, well, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. And if He doesn't, that's okay too. We need to be content with whatever He has for us. Solomon here now just brings this chapter to a close and just pulls together a few more examples of foolishness that, um, that we as humans, we exhibit it all the time. He talks about foolishness in these last few chapters about those who serve or work under a leader. Usually those who work under someone else will reflect the wisdom or the foolishness of the one above them. In mostly all aspects of life, people often kind of take on the characteristics of the one who's their immediate overseer. Now that can be great 
if the one above you is a very wise person, right? And especially in ministry, if that person's seeking the Lord and submitting to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to sit under that person and to, and to learn from them, um, that's, a, that's a great thing. That's a godly thing. You're going you're to honor the Lord with that because the person above you is seeking God. But that's not always the case. And verses 16 and 17, as we go forward, speak about maturity in leadership. And whether it's government or business or the home or in ministry. We're talking here about wisdom and reliability and forethought in everything that we do. So in verses 16 and 17, Solomon says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. So, verse 16, here Solomon says, Woe to you when your king is a child. Now, that may seem like a contradiction because there have been a few really good kings, uh, really good leaders, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, that were very young. And, you know, we've just gotten through on Wednesdays with Pastor Joe learning about King Josiah. Now, Josiah, I think we have Second Chronicles up here. Verse, uh, chapter 34. I just want to read you a little, the little account of King Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, for in the eighth year of his reign, now this is um, my little addition, he was 16 years old, while he was still young, he began to seek the, the God of his father David. How awesome is that for a 16-year-old to seek the God of his father David? And in the twelfth year, when he was 20 years old, still pretty young, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the, mold, and the molded images. He began to make the reforms in the nation, get rid of all of the idols and bring back true worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even the Apostle Paul had to remind Timothy not to allow his youth to stop him from doing what the Lord had called him to do. Remember in 1 Timothy 4, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So Solomon here is not talking about age. He's talking about immaturity. He's, he's talking about a leader who is immature, not who is young. The leader he's writing about here is so immature that he's only interested in entertainment and amusement. I was just listening to a message on the way in and uh, I knew this, but you know the word amuse is a compound word. Muse means to think about, to consider, to meditate on. 
and you put the letter A in front of it, and it means the opposite of that. So when we're amused, we're really not thinking. We're just, it's thoughtless activity, basically, when we're amused. And this is what this leader is doing, the one that Solomon's writing about. He would plan activities just for the enjoyment of the people around him, but never get down to the business of running the nation. Now think about this as a king. All he wanted to do was have fun. All he wanted to do was party. Never wanted to get down to the business of running the country. Now some of you may think we've had presidents that have been like that in the past, but I'm not going to make a political statement now. But think about that. So it's not about the youth, it's not about the age, but it's about the maturity of the person in charge. Verse 18 speaks of the incompetence of this immature leader. He was just incompetent. He says, because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of the hands, the house leaks. Imagine if we had that in government, which a lot of times we do. They're incompetent. Things fall apart. It costs millions of dollars to get things fixed because nobody maintained it over the years. But, but think about that even whether it's your home, or your business, or the church. Don't we want competence in our leaders, maturity in our leaders, so that things don't just start to fall into disrepair? Verse 19 tells us that some immature leaders will just look for what they can get out of the office instead of the needs of those that, we, that they serve. And again, we can see that a lot in politics. But we don't want to see that in our, in our homes. We don't want to see that in our church. We, so Solomon here is telling us, seek godly wisdom in those things. Use, be mature in how you deal with the day, just the day-to-day. And in closing here, Solomon points out the recklessness of an immature leader. Verse 20 He speaks about a leader who doesn't use discretion in how he talks about those above him. And again, just speaking about being mature in everything we do. Using wisdom in everything that we do. And thank God we have the Scriptures that that can guide us through life. And we don't have to try to do it on our own. Now in the next two chapters... Solomon is going to kind of give us a closing application of all of the things that he discovered through his search for the meaning of life. And hopefully we'll be able to take some of those things and apply them to our lives as we seek to live uh, with wisdom in this world that God has given us. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, 
and may God bless you.